1 Samuel chapter 30, beginning of verse 3 says, And then David and his men came to the city. They found it burned with fire and their wives and daughters and sons taken captive. Then David and the people were with him raised their voices and wept till they had no more strength to weep. David's two wives had been taken captive, and Anoam of Jezreel and Abigail, the widow of Nabal of Carmel. And David was greatly distressed, for the people spoke of stoning him because of all the people were bitter in soul, each of his sons and daughters. Uh, for David strength, but David strengthened himself in the Lord, his God. I want to begin reading from Psalm 68 today. Psalm 68 is a psalm where David looks back on the goodness of God and how God has achieved and completed and done wonderful things. It says this, God shall arise, his enemies will be scattered, and those who hate him shall flee before him. As smoke is driven away, so shall drive, so you shall drive them away. As wax melts before the fire, so the wicked shall perish before God. But the righteous shall be glad. They shall exult before God. They shall be jubilant with joy. Sing to God. Sing praises to his name. Lift up a song to him who rides to the deserts. His name is the name of the Lord. And exult before him. He is father to the fatherless, protector of the widows. Is God in his holy habitation. God settles the solitary in a home. He leads out prisoners to prosperity. We, we celebrate what God does here. I have to tell you that I love this week uh, in part because Thanksgiving is one of my favorite holidays. In fact, I think out of, you know, it's probably my top 15 holidays uh, of the year. But no, I really do like Thanksgiving. It involves a lot of things that I really, really like. Uh, over the years, because we've lived different places away from our families, uh, Thanksgiving has often meant a road trip. And I, I like to get out on the road. I, I loved it when our family could travel someplace. I, I love getting away uh, for a road trip. Uh, what's not to love about Thanksgiving? The whole holiday is built around a meal. I mean, that's, that's a pretty good holiday. Uh, it's got football on TV all day long. And as a holiday, you don't have to buy anybody gifts or decorate a tree. I mean, this is a fantastic a holiday. It also seems to be a holiday that somehow has just not been messed up by too many commercials and things on TV. It seems to come quick, and it just kind of gets here, and as a season, it hasn't been stretched out and overdone. I really, really like Thanksgiving. I don't know where Thanksgiving falls on your list of holidays. I don't know if it's a favorite. I don't know if it's not a favorite in, in, in your life. But my experience, my belief, is that all of us come to Thanksgiving in about three different ways. We, we will experience three different kinds of Thanksgiving. One of those Thanksgivings is, man, it's a Thanksgiving that comes in a fantastic season. It's a Thanksgiving that comes when everything is just going absolutely uh, great. Everyone is home. Everyone is healthy. Everyone is employed. Everyone is getting along. It's just an easy year to say, isn't God good? Isn't God great? This is wonderful. And we almost just burst with our celebration in Thanksgiving. And some of you are going to come very, very close to that kind of Thanksgiving. Sometimes that kind of a Thanksgiving comes marked with, with a celebration or a milestone. 
I was kind of reflecting on, on different Thanksgivings in, in my life and trying to think about one of those Thanksgivings that I just was, was bursting with, with joy. And, and I would tell you, one of those for me was a handful of years ago when I had completed my doctoral work. Uh, I had turned in the last stuff. I had been passed. I had been completed uh, probably at the beginning of November. I was graduating in December. So, so this Thanksgiving just fell right into a beautiful window there when all of my work was done, all of my work was completed. And boy, when we came to that table, man, that was just, whoo, I was so excited. All that work done and completed. Some of you may know that kind of a holiday. It's like, this came just at the moment that I'm ready to be thankful and excited about it. Other times we will come to Thanksgiving and it will be, I don't know, I don't know the best way to describe it is it's, it's an average Thanksgiving. Uh, it's a Thanksgiving that's mostly just like every other Thanksgiving. And if you stop and think about it, yes, there's a lot of things that you can be thankful for. And if you kind of take a look around and you inventory uh, who's there and, and the different things going on in your life, you're like, yeah, it is pretty good. And sometimes we stop and we think about, well, you know, compared to what some other people are dealing with and compared to what some other folks are struggling with, yeah, I am blessed and I am thankful. But the truth of the matter is, it's kind of a just average it's just kind of an average year. Yeah, you're thankful, but there's nothing particular that's spectacular about this Thanksgiving. But I think that there's a third experience that we come to with Thanksgiving sometimes, and that is the Thanksgiving that comes in a, in a, in a really hard season of life. It's a Thanksgiving that shows up when there are people who are missing at the table. Not every relationship is where it needs to be. There's some financial stress. There's some difficulty. There's some emotional stuff that you're dealing with. And it's really, really hard. And in fact, there have probably been a Thanksgiving or two in which if one more person asks you to plaster on a fake smile and say, Happy Thanksgiving, they're going to be wearing the cranberry sauce. Uh, I mean, you have just about had it, and it is exhausting, and everyone else is just hopping along as though it's just all great, and inside, you are feeling the entire weight of the world, and the expectation of saying, happy Thanksgiving, is just extra strain. Now, here's a couple of conclusions that I, I would make about those observations. One is I would tell you that just about everyone in their lifetime is going to experience all three of those kinds of thanksgivings. Thanksgiving, the fourth Thursday in November, is going to show up when it is fantastic, it is great, and you can't wait to praise. It's going to come up sometimes where it's like, sure, it's like every other year, it's good. Yeah, we, we've got things to be happy for. And probably at least once in your lifetime, that fourth Sunday of November is going to hit in a really, really tough season. I would also say that I believe that probably every person here is going to experience each one of those types of thanksgivings at least once. And I would tell you that in a gathering of a church like this, that there's somebody in this room that is experiencing each one of those. There's some folks in here that, I mean, they just cannot wait to get to the table, not just because they, they, they like a good turkey, but because there's just so much to it. Life is good. And there are some folks that's like, yep, we're just kind of clicking along. But there are some folks 
on the same pew as you, in the same small group Bible study as you, who are really, really struggling in this Thanksgiving. So how do we process? How do we process the fact that there are three different kinds of Thanksgiving? Well, one of the things I want to do is I kind of want to look at David. Uh, because David is... He's one of the great voices of thanksgiving. David, the psalmist, probably has written more words that are going to be read in worship services today, who are going to be read around Thanksgiving tables on Thursday, that are going to be thought about and and played more than anybody else. David is one of the great voices of thanksgiving. And so I want us to listen to him, because I I think one of the things about David is, is that David experienced all three of these kinds of thanksgivings. We're going to see that here in the Word of God today. David experienced the high, the medium, and the very, very low in his life. So let's dig into the Word of God and see what it is that we notice. I want you to notice from David's words that we see what it's like to have thanksgiving when life is great. I want you to see what it is when we see have thanksgiving when life is great. Go back to Psalm 68 for a couple moments here. In verse 3, listen to these words. Listen to the emotions that David describes, that David feels. He says, but the righteous shall be glad. Kind of raise your hand and wave it here. The righteous shall be glad. It says that the, the, they shall exalt before God. Exalt means you raise two hands. So you got one hand for glad, two hands for exalt. It says they shall be jubilant. That's you kind of stand up for jubilant. And then when it gets to they shall be jubilant with joy, you got to do like a cartwheel or something. All right, you, you ready? So they, they shall be glad, one hand. They shall exalt. Two hands. Three is uh, they shall be jubilant. That's where you stand. And then and they'll be jubilant with joy. That's where you do the, the somersault. You can do it when you get home on, on your own time. But that, that's what David is describing here. He says, man, life is good. God is good. And he says, these are the reasons why God is good. Go back to verses 1 and 2. He says, God shall rise and his enemies shall be scattered. Those who hate him shall flee before him. In verse 2 it says, as smoke is driven away, so you shall drive them away. Here's my favorite line. It says, as wax melts before fire, so the wicked perish before God. Look at the kind of God that we have. God stands up. God clears his voice. And the wicked, the enemies, those who oppose God, they melt like wax before the fire. That's the kind of God that we have. Isn't that awesome? Isn't that exciting? David says, man, I cannot wait for Thanksgiving because that's the kind of God that I have. Here in verses 5 and 6, he talks about our God is the father of the fatherless and the protector of the widows. He says in verse 6, he says he settles the solitary, the lonely. He finds them in a home. And then the next one he says he moves the prisoner, not just sets them free, but moves them to prosperity. Man, that's the kind of God that we have. You can almost hear that David is ready to sing, to shout. And because it's David, he's even ready to dance. And you may come this morning, and you may be ready in that same thing, man. You can just feel that. When you hear those words, you're like, yes, that's true. And what I want you to know in this Thanksgiving, if that's what God is stirring inside of you, that's what you're experiencing this day, don't let anyone hold you back from singing, shouting, dancing, and somersaults. 
Don't let anything hold you back from saying, look at the things that God has blessed me with. Look at the things that God is doing. Look at how God is displaying his power. Look at the results of what God is doing. God stands up and poof, this is what happens. Man, that's what it means to have thanksgiving when life is great, that we hear those things, that we see those things, and that we celebrate those things. Let me tell you that you and I were created for one primary purpose, and that is to sing praise and bring honor and glory to God. In fact, Jesus even talks about the fact when he comes into Jerusalem in a triumphal entry, and he makes a scene because all the people are taking their robes off and throwing them in the middle of the street and they're putting the, 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 the palm branches in the middle of the street and they're singing Hosanna and they're recognizing him as Messiah. And some people say, man, you're really creating a scene. Tell people to be quiet. He says, listen, if they were quiet, then the rocks would cry out because it is the duty of creation to give honor and praise and glory to God. And so this week, Man, if life is good and you're in one of those seasons where life is blessed, will you sing, will you shout, will you dance, will you make sure that your voice is heard? But David also knew what it was like. David also knew what it was like to have Thanksgiving when life was rough. This is where we jump back to 1 Samuel chapter 30. Do you remember these words? It says that David is distressed. Can I just tell you that that's an understatement? It tells us that David is distressed. Let me, let me run through why David is so distressed in 1 Samuel chapter 30. It is because for nearly two decades... He's been on the run for his life. He has had to live outside of his home country. He's had to even settle with the enemies of Israel because his king was trying to kill him and execute him and get rid of him. And so the only place that David could find to be safe is to hang out with the Philistines. The Philistines are the enemy of Israel. David has gone to battle with the Philistines, but things have become so difficult for him that he cannot live at home, and he has to live with the Philistines. It puts him in an awkward situation because he's an Israelite. He's on Team Israel, but the safety that he's found is with the Philistines. And things get even more awkward when the Philistines decide, we're going to go to war. David says, cool, I got a bunch of soldiers. We, we can go to war. Who are we fighting? Israel. What do you do in that moment? Now, I can't explain all that's going on in David's mind, and we, we, we don't know all of the backstory. We don't know all of the plan. But here's what happens. The Philistines line up to go to battle with, against Israel. And David and his men fall into line with the Philistines, ready to march off to war with Israel. Think about the strain that he's under in that kind of moment. Well, what happens next is the Philistines you know, count off who's here, and they, they list everybody, and then they come to David and his men. They're like, wait, what are these guys doing here? These are Israelites. Well, we're going into battle against Israel, and David and his men are going to be behind our lines? No way. Get them out of here. And they kind of yell at the guy that, that let, let them line up. And so David and his men 
they head home. Now, as they head home, as they head home, their hearts break. Because as they have their eyes set on home, and their eyes set on seeing their, their, their wives and their sons and their daughters and getting back to their house, that they notice the cloud of smoke that seems to be in the general direction of their home. And the more that they look at it, it's unmistakable. That cloud of smoke is coming from their home. And as they rush back in to the little village that they have established for themselves amongst the Philistines, they see that their home has been attacked, looted, burned to the ground. Everything that they've owned has been destroyed. And worse than that, when they call out the names of their loved ones, nobody answers. It says at this point that David's heart was distressed. It said that he and the men that were with him wept until they could weep no more. Can you blame them? It gets worse for David because... This loyal band of four to eight hundred men that has been with him through thick and thin have said, that's enough. David, you're responsible for this. We followed you here and there. You almost led us into battle against our own people. We come back. We've lost everything that we own. We, we, we've lost our sons, our daughters, our wives. We've lost everything. And we hold you responsible. In fact, the passage of Scripture says that they were in distress because his men, these loyal men, had determined that they were going to stone David. I would say that David was at rock bottom, but I think David felt like, how can I be at rock bottom when I keep falling? 25 years this is where I stand. 25 years since God had promised me that I would be king, and what do I have to show for it? Literally nothing. I've lost all of it. And my own men are picking out stones right now to see which one is the most likely stone to take my life. I'd like to get rich one day. Anyone else? Anyone else? I, I did have a guy in college come up to me, and this is not part of the sermon. I had a guy come up to me, and he was one of those multi-level marketers, guys they took off at our college. He said, how would you like to be rich? I said, man, God's called me to poverty. He didn't have an answer for that. He had an answer for everything else. But, but I, I really, to be honest, I wouldn't mind becoming rich. And, and I kind of think that maybe one of the pathways is to find something in my house of great value. You've seen the TV shows that promise this, right? You, uh, Antique Roadshow, you ever seen that? You just find this in your house, it's worth $30,000. You were about to throw it away, but it's worth $30,000. Susan always yells from the couch, sell it, sell it. There's no sentimentality. She wants the cash. Uh, the other one is uh, cash in the attic. You remember that one? Uh, just find two or three things in your attic, and you can renovate your entire house, um, that hasn't worked so far. Uh, the pickers come by now, the, the American pickers, and they find all these things uh, of, of value in the house. Man, I, it hasn't happened to me yet. Uh, but here, let me tell you, here's the best way for that to happen to you. What you need is something that's old, 
and valuable and forgotten. But here's the three words that you need. Are you ready? You can write this down if you want to. Mint in box. That's the distinction between what makes something valuable. What you need to find is you need to find a 1966 G.I. Joe that's still in the box and never been played with. That's where the value is. Um, I, I, I think about, um, I think those are some of the saddest words that are ever spoken, mint in box. It was a toy that no one ever got to play with. It's a car that no one ever got to drive. It's a pack of baseball cards that never got stuck between the spokes of the, of the wheel. It, it's all kinds of stuff that is so great, but no one has ever used it. Adam has a bunch of old Legos. He has a bunch of the original Star Wars Legos. Uh, he has the Millennium Falcon, the first edition of the Millennium Falcon uh, Lego set. And he came to us not long ago and he said, man, you know how much that's worth? I said, well, I don't know how much we paid for it. Uh, I, I don't know how much it's worth. He says, well, if I hadn't ever opened the box, he would be worth this amount of money. You know, I think that's such a sad sentence, mint in box. There's one other phrase that, that actually there's, there's still hope that you might get rich. Here's the other phrase, game worn. So if you go to Walmart and buy a Drew Brees jersey this afternoon, it's going to be worth slightly less than what you pay for it. But you can find in your attic the game-worn Drew Brees jersey that he wore in the Super Bowl. Now that's a whole other matter. You may be able to find a shoe that's not worth anything, but, but if you find Neil Armstrong's shoe that stepped on the moon, that's, that's game worn. Now, you might have an old pair of suspenders that, that's not worth a whole lot, but if they're, if they're Robin Williams' Mork from Ork rainbow suspenders, that's, that's game worn. And while Adam's Lego set may not be worth very much, if you had George Lucas's Lego set where he put things together, now that's game worn. Now, here's the thing. David's faith is worth so much more because it's game-worn. In fact, what he says in Psalm 68 says, God is good, God is great, your enemies flee when God stands up. All of that stuff is true, but it is worth so much more because it was game-worn in 1 Samuel chapter 30. Let me tell you, your praise in this season, your praise in this week, your praise as you look back on this week, sometimes is going to be worth so much more because this is a hard season. And you're going to grow through this experience. And your faith will stop being an unused package that looks pretty on the shelf and it will become the game-worn life preserver that it needs to be in this season. In 1 Samuel chapter 30, it tells us two things. It tells us that David was in great distress. And then it tells us that David strengthened himself in the Lord. He took that faith off the shelf 
and dressed himself in that faith on the hardest day of his life to date. Now, what David didn't know was a handful of things here. What David didn't know is, is first of all, that he was going to rescue every one of those family members that were lost. David's men marched, and God gave them victory and restored every single one of those lost family members. And basically, in the days ahead, they would be restored equal value of all the things that they had lost. What David did not know is that God was rescuing him from being on the battlefield of 1 Samuel chapter 31 where the Philistines defeat Israel and kill Saul. That was not a place where David and his men needed to be. How is David going to be the next king if he is guilty of being part of the army that defeats Saul? What David had no way of knowing is that he was 24 to 48 hours away from being crowned king. 25 years at this point. The lowest point of David's life so far and what he did not know is that he was 24 to 48 hours from the promises of God being fulfilled in his life. Listen, I can't tell you everything that's going on in your life. I can't tell you everything that's going to happen next, but I'm going to tell you that the God of eternity is going to show up just on time in your life. And it may feel like the amount of weight that you're carrying on this day is at the capacity that you can't possibly handle an ounce more. I want you to know that the God of eternity is at work in your life, even in this week. The God of eternity is at work in your life this week, and your faith will be stronger because this week it will become game-worn faith. There's one more piece that I just want to look at very quickly that, that's important as well. And that is faith not just in the great day and not just in the hard day, but I want you to see thank, faith and thanksgiving in the everyday. Well, we didn't read my favorite verse in Psalm 68, but my favorite verse in Psalm 68 is verse 19. It says, Blessed be the Lord who daily bears us up. God is our salvation. Blessed be the Lord who daily bears us up. God is our salvation. Very quickly, just looking at this verse, I want you to notice the word us. David in this psalm does not say bears me up because this is a personal psalm because it is experienced, but it is not limited to him. He says he bears us up. Now, who is the us? Here's what it's not. It is not only kings of Israel. That's not who the us is. The us is not just Israelites. The us is not just people who are good people. The us is every single person who lives and breathes, every single person of flesh. The word of God says he will lift us up. I also want you to see there where it says daily he lifts us up. Daily, he lifts us up. I want you to see there, when he says daily, he lifts us up, that our relationship with God is not one where he just stops by, sprinkles some goodness on our life, and moves on, and we never hear from him again. But we have an ongoing daily relationship. I want you to know that daily means that God is never grows weary of caring for your life. The truth is, sometimes... We can get weary caring for one another. That's just honest. That just happens. 
But I want you to know that our God never gets weary of caring for us. I want you to know that God never runs out of his care for us. Daily he bears us up because he never, ever runs out. I want you to know that God is the God of our salvation. Now what? Well, what is the now what this morning? Just a handful of things that I want you to hear this morning. I want you to know that this Thanksgiving is for you. This season, this word, regardless of what place in your life you are this week, it is for you because our God is the God of the great days. He is the God of the hard days. And he is the God of all of the days. And so wherever you are in this place, in this week, man, God is here for you. He's for you. This week, it's for you. Regardless of what your story is, you're never left out of the story with God. The second now what that I, that I would want you to think about in terms of application is it says daily he bears us up. And I want to just challenge us. I want to challenge you to just be shifting our life to more of a daily faith. You see, sometimes we're limited to a weekly faith. We get dressed up and we come to church on Sundays, on most Sundays. Sometimes we, we pay attention to the things of God because we're in the middle of a crisis, a difficulty, a hard time. And in those moments, we remember quickly how to go and call to God. But I want you to know just as much as daily he lifts us up. Jesus tells us when he teaches us to pray, he says, give us this day our daily bread. You see, our faith is meant to be an everyday experience. So let me just encourage you to just nudge your life and your faith to be a little bit more daily. That there's a time that you listen to him, that you meditate on his word, that you spend time in prayer, that you slow down and you just think about what is it that God wants to do in my life today? What is God speaking to me? What is God assigning me? What is God teaching me in this day? What am I supposed to know about God this day? And then finally, the last part of that verse 19 says, God is our salvation. Salvation means the word rescue. And there's no, there's no greater sense of rescue than the fact that Jesus Christ rescues our life from separation from God. You see, you and I are born into sin and we only make it worse. We continue to pile sins onto our life. I know your sins aren't nearly as bad as somebody else's sins. But we just keep piling them on. And that sin builds a wall. That, that sin separates us from God. And the only solution to that is Jesus, the Son of God, who dies for our sins. And he becomes our salvation. And so it is my call to you that if you have never been rescued by God, if you have never experienced that saving work of Jesus wiping clean all, all of those sins, big, small, medium, and everything in between, 
so that your life is rescued and you can say, God is my salvation. That I encourage you to have that conversation with him today as simple as saying, God, I need your forgiveness and I ask you to be in charge of my life. Lord, would you forgive me of my sins? And would you be in charge of everything going forward? If you've never done that before, then man, we want to encourage you to do that. We, we want to call on you to do that. You can do that right where you're seated right now. That's a conversation between you and God. Jesus is that bridge. That's all you need. If Michael and I or someone else can help you with that, we'll be down at the front, we'll be at the back tables. But if you've never asked for that rescue in your life, then would you do that today? And would you walk away from Thanksgiving 2019 and say, God is my salvation. Let's pray together. Our Heavenly Father, Lord, you, you have packed a great deal into your word today. And Lord, I'm convinced there's been a word for nearly every person who's in this room. So Lord, I, I ask before we leave that every person would claim the word and the truth and what the Spirit has revealed for their life today. Lord, I pray that we would use this as a moment of reflection to lock in and hear what we've heard from you. And Lord, I pray that we would not just be hearers of the word, but that we would be doers of the word as well. That what you've called on us to do, that we would follow through and act. Pray this in your name.